One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I caught a glimpse of the pub's mind's eye, and in its vision, the pub was dreaming of the pub within. Through hooped prisms gleaming, I travelled forward into the pub's present past. The pub within the pub, the past within the past. I am myself. I am the moon underwater. mind, my harrowed soul within. <sighs> Moon underwater, work your magic on me. And bring to me my regular Robin Allender, I call for him! Hi! Present your sen from the dark shadows beyond. I'm here, John, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. phew, sorry, yes. I was looking the wrong way. Yeah, no, fine, you alright? Oh, not particularly well, Robin. What happened? What's happened now? Who's upset you this time? <laughs> we find our landlord with... Uh, sort of towards the end of the worst hangover I've had in a decade. Yes. Can we give some contextual detail here about what happened last night? Well, I made the mistake of venturing to a pub in the, uh, the other realm mm-hmm. with you, with about 100 patrons of the Moon Underwater... Um, and with uh, musician self-esteem. And we gathered there, we coalesced to share our thoughts and feelings. And I was was undone. You were undone. You were undone. You were forcibly undone, really, if I can just relate what happened. You you kind of maybe foolishly admitted that you'd just bought a bottle of Riesling on stage. And as soon as the cat was out of the bag, the wine was out of the bag... Because everyone there was there were there were cheers which Rebecca kind of engineered of, of drink it. We we need to drink it, open it, chug it, down it. So the Riesling was opened and split between the three of us. Um <laughs> much to your chagrin. And uh is that a contributing to the hangover, do you think? Yeah, it was definitely 
sudden impact of wine. Yeah. <laughs> there is a gif circulating in in the in the other realm of me downing a bottle of wine. I didn't down a bottle of wine. You didn't I downed down it. the the end of a bottle of wine. But what happened was as often happens in pubs, time sort of compressed itself and I ended up drinking so I'd had like four pints, five pints. Mm. Sort of a nice amount to then take home with you un- unto bed. <laughs> yeah. And then I had a cider and then the wine came out and I... When you got back home? No, no. Oh, right, right, right. God, yes, of course. Sorry, yeah. Uh, so I had to finish off the cider to begin the wine. Yeah, that's not a sentence you want to say, really. And I, mu- I must have had probably two large glasses of wine in about 20 minutes on top of a pint of cider, so... Far too much irresponsible drinking, I would like to point out. Yeah. How was your taxi journey home? Uh, it was pretty stressful. Was it? <laughs> uh, I hiccuped for 45 minutes straight, and the uh, Uber driver kept asking if I was all right and if I wanted the window open. And I was blue dotting it, mate. I was blue, blue dot- dotting right, it. Right, right. <laughs> I did that thing where I've done do this a couple of times where I, I listened to Jesus Blood Never Failed Me Yet by Gavin Bryars on the taxi journey home. Did you? <laughs> just yeah, I don't know why. It's very nice going over the Thames and going through London, but it's far too emotional. I was in bits by the end of that Uber. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing to do because I should have been feeling buoyant and sort of depressed myself more than I've ever felt in my life. <laughs> Did you stay much longer? Uh, I had one drink with some of the other lovely patrons who were there. Um, and, yeah, and with Rebecca. And I left I left shortly after you. I think I just had one more drink. But, yeah, I was, I'm not I was not feeling particularly emotionally fluent today. No, that's... A, well, I'm, I think I'm slightly less than unemotionally fluent I, <laughs> I felt that complete lack of joy this lack of almost like unable to see the potential for joy ever again in my life oh god I'm sorry to hear that you've, you've, you've lost the absence of joy um, things will get better oh yeah I think they'll be better you just need a night off the old booze wake up tomorrow then another night off booze and then maybe three or four more nights off booze but I tell you what I ate at half four this afternoon because I thought I just need to eat. Made a big load of pasta. The second the onions hit the oil, I thought, well, you could have a, you could have a beer. And I was like, what are you thinking, man? You're out of your mind. Oh, dear. Anyway, it's nice to be within the moon underwater, isn't it, Robin? Yes, it's lovely to be back. I mean, you don't have to drink in the moon underwater. We've said it before, we say it again. It's a place of solace. Place of inner peace. I, I mean, I am, but it's just one. Yeah, I bought. I went to Tesco, bought two bottles of squash and a massive Toblerone. Oh, brilliant! Trove to Dundee in your bare feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Robin, amongst the glistening embers of uh, the fire that seems to have sort of reprised itself, I did. I did sense mist, and I think I heard a sigh. Yes, I sighed for the mist, and there was some lovely mist mails came in, and some lovely mist tweets came in too um a couple of people really nice comments about the david lloyd episode bumble which went out last week uh james dawson writes i have just finished listening to this episode i have never wanted to be in a pub with three strangers who i know i would have a wonderful time with more perfect atmosphere conversation and beer unknotting of the stomach and chest as you walk in 
Cheers, Bumble and Lads. I love that. That's a brilliant... I, that 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 really rings a few bells, that kind of feeling of the tension coming off you as you walk into a lovely pub. And we had this from Daniel Yeoman, appropriate name. On this, the most miserable of Mondays, may I say what an absolute delight Bumble was during this morning's Moon Under Pod. Totally changed my mood from downright miserable to comfy and warm. Thank you, chaps. That's a lovely, lovely message. And we've got one a nice Miss Mail. We were talking about fictional pubs the other week. Dear John and Robin, I would like a beer and possibly a light snack in the Café René from Allo Allo. The only problem is the, pla- the place is full of Nazis. And that's from Matthew. <laughs> yeah, good point. Fictional pubs. The one I really wanted to mention was, maybe we'll post this on the Twitter feed, but there's a Beamish advert from the 80s, which basically sparked joy haven't you mentioned this like three times? I think I mentioned it last night, live. No, I think on the podcast. You've Have I? Me- you've mentioned this Beamish advert almost <laughs> endlessly. But I don't mind it because it's obviously, it obviously causes such reverberations in your soul. It's fantastic. It's a cartoon man walking through a city. And then he it's like very beautifully evocative of the bright lights and of the city and going into this kind of cosy little pub in a nook with three friends and having a beer. And it's. And I thought, yes, I want to be that cartoon man one day. Well, I think you want to be that cartoon man every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, love that. I can't believe it. I haven't mentioned it before. I don't think I've mentioned it before. You definitely... Sp- on the... Oh, no, maybe on the behind the cellar door. Possibly, yeah. When we ventured down to the cellar, you definitely spoke <laughs> at length about the Beamish advert that haunts your dreams. <laughs> it's an advert. It's on on all the time in my mind you know it's not on just once is it you know weirdly i don't think i've ever had beamish yeah that's the thing it's a very successful advert but not in any way to do with convincing you to buy the product just yeah. more one, that you want to live in the advert it's sort of an advert for future nostalgia i was sort of nostalgic for it before i'd even been in a pub but you know i'm sure i might maybe we should have a beamish to see if it matches up to the kind of memory the, the, of the advert. Do you know what? That's not a bad idea. But I can't remember the last time I saw Beamish. I think, wasn't Ian from Shit London Guinness saying you get a lot of Beamish in Cork? Mm. Yeah, we should make a visit there. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Guinness, I, uh, I saw that All Things Guinness, the Instagram account, finally got his hands on the Guinness Nitro Surge. That's great. What What is it? <laughs> what? What is it? Oh, it's like a... a so it's a special can that you put a cap on it with a nozzle and the cap is battery powered, charge it by USB and it's got nitrogen in it, which it then sort of, so it creates like a keg system just but within the can itself or on top of the can. I don't quite understand it, but it looks amazing. Mm. Oh, well, I need to uh, haul my aching bones into some form of shape to welcome this week's guest, Robin. Indeed. How shall I best go about sort of cleansing my mind in the in the minutes that remain before he enters? Just, uh, you could have a bath in Guinness. Well, the, no, the interesting thing about the bath here at the Moon Underwaters upstairs is the, the bath is vertical, whereas the shower is horizontal. The shower has a sparkler on it, like in, you know... You get yeah. <laughs> so the shower, you lie down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sort of shoots down and up at you. But the bath is... Um, the bath, you step into a, a cylinder 
and the water fills up to neck height. Yeah. And then you sort of wash standing up. It's quite confusing. <laughs> it's, yeah, draining is quite hard. You don't want to just open the door and have all the water just flood out. Yeah, even if, if, if it is and is water. Yeah. Because it certainly has a cleansing effect unlike any water I know of. Yeah. Why don't you have a nice bath? I can have a nice cylindrical vertical bath. <laughs> uh, is what I'm going to do. And uh, are you all right to just watch uh, or watch all the embers for me for uh, for about sort of twenty minutes? Is that okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll I'll, I'll give the I'll, I'll get the bellows and give the the fireplace a good gust. Thanks, man. Oh, Robin, I feel fantastic. Mm. I don't know what it is. I think, I don't think it is water as we know it in that bath. I think it's the memory of a a sort of an alpine lake Mm. is what the water is made of. It's actually memory water. Oh, memory water. Yeah. That's quite a good name for a craft beer, that, isn't it? Oh, memory water. Yes, yes, yes. Memory water IPA. So, uh, I actually I did have a little bit of a sip, and it sorted me right out. You had a sip of your own bath water? I had a sip of the memory water. The, the memory of an alpine lake is now coursing through my veins. Did you ever used to pretend in the bath when you were a kid that you were a barman? You had little cups, and you'd pour from the tap and stuff like that. God, no. <laughs> But Robin, can you hear the uh, the many tinkling bells of different audacities? Yes, as in you know, like are they they tinkling by themselves, or rather like in the Christmas Carol, you know, when all the bells start are tinkling. Yes, and many different sort of metals. I think they use for the bells this week to welcome our guest, who must be approaching down the avenue of bells uh, that sometimes sits adjacent to the moon underwater, depending on factors. And I must say, they have a very bright chime to them. They tinkleth, and it's such a nice way uh, to welcome in a guest, walking down an avenue of bells that tinkle uh, with various sort of hues of metal uh, and various different keys and melodies find their way through the night air. So, But here he is at the door. Ladies and gentlemen, entering the moon underwater is Andrew Cotter. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Hello, John. Hello, Robin. How are you? Hello. Oh, I am all the better for hearing your voice. A voice known to millions on Radio 5 Live, commentating on various sporting events. You've commentated on pretty much every sport. Yes. Is that true? Pretty much all the sports. No, uh, all the sports, yes. So I've nearly completed sport. Uh, (laughs) I've reached the the end level where I'm fighting the big boss of sport, and I can't cope with them, and so I'll just uh, try again. No, I, yes, so I I think we added it up once. We were sitting in Wimbledon, uh, the the waiting room, the the green room, the commentator's rest room, Uh, but we're sitting, we have this sort of uh, lounge where we wait uh, for our matches to go on. And the, all the commentators wait in there and we're just chatting about anything and everything. And we decided to have a sort of uh, multi-sport off to see who had commentated on the most sports because I was in there. Nick Mullins was, uh, was in there, who's commentated on many sports as well. And uh, Matt Chilton was there though. So Matt Chilton, so Nick Mullins and I, I think we got to about 11 or 12 each. So you've got to have commentated on network television on that sport for it to qualify. But he wades in 
with his Eurosport stuff and just uh, just destroys us all because I think he'd commentated on about forty different sports, done them all very well as well. So we just we we just uh, slunk away. Uh, I think of the past participle of slink slunk away and uh, with our feeble eleven or twelve. But I've done. Um, yeah, my main ones are rugby and golf and tennis and athletics, I suppose, would be the main ones. So, yeah. Do you ever get confused, you know, someone, you know, playing tennis and, you know, they pick up the ball and <laughs> score a try? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? That's, yeah, exactly. I do. Oh, I get, yes, I get I get deeply confused. I compartmentalise. No, I, I, get, I compartmentalise. And so if I'm doing one sport one week, then I jettison all the facts I know about any other sport so if you ask me about golf during a rugby week, I'll just say, what? What is this golf of which you speak? And But then once the rugby finishes, I'll bring all the golf back in. Do you ever, have you ever commentated on a sport that you absolutely loathe? And if if you do loathe a sport, are you able to go, I don't want to do a commentary on that? Well, yeah, but you don't like to say no, because if somebody asks you, if a boss person asks you, you go, God, yeah, absolutely. I love that sport. Um, I've always loved that sport. Um, <laughs> since I was a youngster, I wanted to commentate on that sport. So I, I have been asked to do... The one sport which I've been asked to do which I wouldn't do is football because I sort of like football, but I don't have that passion for it. And football being the sort of behemoth there is that you have to really, you know, because everybody is into their football, most people are, so you have to really have a, a, an in-depth um, love for that sport and sort of in-depth knowledge. But Do you think that's the, the sport which you would sort of most get found out if you were trying to sort of... No, I don't think so. I have been found out before on sport. I did um, uh, Modern Pentathlon, which kind of got a bit of a revival at this, uh, uh, the, the recent the Tokyo Olympics. It was very strange watching it. it was you, you run around and then you shoot a gun and you sort of drive around in a car. And then yes, that's, of, those are exactly yeah, the rules. Yeah, yeah. Those are as yeah. they were laid down by Baron Pierre de Coubertin <laughs> when he invented it. He said, well, they'll run around a bit and shoot a gun. And someone said, Pierre, we're going to have to have more detail. And <laughs> no, 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 that's it. They'll run around and shoot a gun. Well, it's based on the, the premise of a, a soldier being lost behind enemy lines and trying to find their way back through um, fencing and shooting and running and riding and swimming. So... Um, and dressage as well, because if you're captured by uh, Prussian officers, they would say, well, can you do your uh, fly, flying lead legs with your horse? Because uh, can you go diagonally? <laughs> it's a bizarre sport. And I got found out a little bit because I was asked to do it. And just as I have described, I said to the, the bosses, I said, well, you know, absolutely. Well, they, they asked me if I could commentate on the run, which was it was separate from it wasn't running and shooting as it as it is now together it was just a run at the end of it a 3000 meter run and i said yeah i'm sure i can commentate on that and then maybe a couple of days later they said could you commentate on the swimming as well I said, yeah it's fine 400 meter swim we can do that and then it must have been just about the day before they said can you commentate on the show jumping as well and of course by this time i'm in too deep so i just said Absolutely. So blooming lootly. Love it. So I did it. But th- those were the days as well where we were doing, every, it, it was it was two hours of solid coverage on the red button with just me commentating. And of course, as we saw this year, quite a high profile case with a German leader in the women's event. You draw lots for a horse. You just get, you get given a horse according to the draw. And she got a horse that she couldn't control because it just did not want to perform. But a really good rider will still be able to get the get something out of that horse. But I didn't know when I was doing Beijing 2008 and the leader in the men's event, um, Hungarian chap, his horse, I think, went, just went and stood in the corner, taking his heels and going, come on. And I, I just, you know, you're falling back on 
the commentary generalities are just going, oh, Daisy, that's disappointing, uh, without knowing exactly what's going on. So that that was when I did get found out. And they brought Claire Balding in the next day alongside me <laughs> to actually add the add the technicalities. And I just you know sat alongside her, going, oh, dear, 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 yes, 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 <laughs> absolutely. Um, so yes, you do get found out. But I would say that you do so much research. I'm exaggerating a little bit in how much I got found out because you still do. I did weightlifting commentary that year as well in the Olympics and you still, you you know, I went out to watch the European weightlifting championships in the build-up to that and you sort of get into it and meet some of the people and understand the technicalities of it. But um, yes, uh, to answer in a very long way your, your question, I have been found out in the past before and I probably do too many sports. So, Andrew, you're here at the Moon Underwater to create uh, your perfect pub. Is there a lot of pub work going on in between commentaries? And if so, which sports lead themselves best to sort of pub trips in between? Oh, it would it would have been back in the day. Uh, it would have been rugby by a distance. It was um, very much the... Golf would be sort of hotel bars, but rugby would be, yeah. And, and again, the culture's probably changing a little bit, and certainly it's changed quite dramatically in the last year and a half. But um, but rugby would have been a big pub, yeah, bar culture. And again, still, even in the professional era, you know, if, um, the players will still... Not not drink quite to the same extent that they used to back in the amateur era, but you know they put in the training the young guys and they can recover, so they are given certain days off to to relax where they will relax. So, uh, but it was a big thing as well within the the press corps as well following it. And and you know I'm just about at that age when I started that it was just the very dog ends of the, the the amateur era, and so the players and press would would still have a drink together of course those days there's a, a huge hefty wall between players and uh, and the media now but it, it used to be sort of rather more convivial say after a hard day's commentating at the olympics will all of the sort of press just go to the hotel bar and get lashed so normally normally at an olympics where you're actually at the event because at this year's olympics the commentary was all done from back in the or television commentary was all done from back in the uk which was no good at all but but usually, yes. I mean, I remember Rio, you know, you come, the, the athletics would finish very, very late, but we always found out a place. It was, the hardest thing when you do a thing like that is finding someone to eat. But if you find a bar that just serves you whatever it is, a pizza or something, and just you have, you would always have, in Rio, it was just always a really cold lager that would just, and you just unwind, it would be the best best drink you've ever had slightly worrying best drink <laughs> yeah. I've ever had but it's never, the second one's never quite as good so I but I'm not a big drinker either so I would always have one and that's it that's all I need it just gets you relaxed and because you can't sleep either when you go home from commentating you know half an hour beforehand on the final of a 400 metres or whatever you, you then go back to bed and fall asleep immediately you need to decompress you, you need alcohol that's terrible but um, <laughs> yeah so there would be and, and that would be just sort of mixing with a commentator the other, your fellow commentators and and, uh, yeah, just just uh, decompressing. So you're you're from Troon, which is a big golf area. It's pretty much everywhere in Scotland is really sort of. There's you're never far from a golf course in Scotland. But when you imagine your dream pub, is it does it have a sort of Scottish, uh, a rural or urban Scottish tint to it? It would be, I suppose. It would either be, as you describe it, there something out in the in the country or coming down off a mountain at the end of the day's climbing in the hills, which I do quite a lot of, or it would be 
the pub that you remember when from when you're 17. So, which is obviously a total distortion of how the pub actually was. But when you look back, you think this is the greatest fun palace in history. That, yeah. Um, well, that we can, we can do that here. We can do pubs distorted by memory. That's one of the okay. things. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, everything is distorted by memory, isn't it? So, yeah, you, yeah. you know, I look back and and Troon is, uh, as you said, a big golf town, but it's a small place, 15,000 people or so. I mean, it's getting a wee bit bigger now, but 15,000 or so. Um, lots of pubs. There's Scottish. I was in Montrose recently doing something, doing a golfing feature thing. And uh, Montrose had, I remember always being told that it had per head of population the most pubs for any town in, in the UK. But I drove down, so I was there playing in the boys amateur back in uh, 1990, 1991 maybe it was. And I remember staying there and trying to go down all the pubs because you're 17 and you can drink and you can play the next day and you're fine. I mean, it's technically illegal, but... Yeah, you uh, can't drink at 17 in a pub. (laughs) Stop that. You you can physically drink, but uh, but you shouldn't. And uh, according to the law, you can't. So, yes. So, but then I drove down there the other day and I I saw, you know, half the pubs had been closed up and turned into you know something else it was uh, vaping shops or something like that so it was uh, a a part a, l- a large part of that's um i'm sure disappeared but i remember when i was let's say 18 when i was 18 and first started to drink in public houses <laughs> and in, you know in Troon, this this quiet town in, in ayrshire that it just seemed like this was the you know, the promised land when you could go out there and drink for the first time and you went into Pebbles nightclub up Temple Hill in Troon. I, I, I do remember my very first night out uh, because I was a late developer in terms of drinking. Now, I, I would have been, and I hope they don't come and get me, I would have been 17 going into Pebbles nightclub and it was my first night out drinking lager tops and drinking and just downing them one after another because you're 17, you think. And, and I just thought I, suddenly I could... I understood the universe and I could see through time and, and I could hear colours. And it was just, this was the most amazing. This is, this is, Pebbles Nightclub was suddenly the hacienda. And I was at the heart of the universe in Pebbles Nightclub in Trun. And then I went home, was violently ill and felt terrible the next day. But I just remember the excitement, you know, madness. <laughs> madness, the great philosopher sung about it, didn't they? It's the house of fun. It's so you're, it's, you're suddenly allowed to drink or not allowed, but you suddenly do start drinking. You think this is, this is great. And that kind of wait, well, it should hopefully wear off after uh, after a while. But that still waiting. First, yeah, <laughs> okay. I've heard that, John. But I, I've, um, you know, that 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 first awakening in terms of that um, that slight sort of mind alteration as well is uh, is just something to behold. In Andrew Cotter's dream pub. Do bear in mind that the drinks you choose don't have to be alcoholic. But first off, you get two draft items. Uh, so what are you going to pick? I remember when I so go, moving on from Troon to as a as a seventeen stroke eighteen year old going to university and 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 carrying on being excited about going to pubs and drinking a lot was um, and I was pretentious as well as most um, you know nineteen twenty year olds are and you studying French and philosophy. I mean, what a tool! Um, but then you go into that's great. No, but Pret- no, pretentious great. gets uh, the word pretentious gets uh, kind of bandied about nowadays, though. Well, it? I know, but but no, but they, it was definitely <laughs> on my part. It was pretension because my 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 boss once called me uh, 
pretentious for, for saying I liked halloumi. I mean, <laughs> oh, well, there is a certain pretension about that. No, that I, I agree. No, there's a there's a sort of inverted snobbery about. Some people say that's pretentious. Mm. If you genuinely do like something that is a higher art or whatever it might be, but I only chose philosophy out of some sort of. You, again, at that age, you think you're incredibly deep and meaningful, and that I, philosophy is the subject for me. So I would go into and French as well. So you go into one of the pubs of the West End of Glasgow, and you you ask for Cronenberg. 1664, but you don't. You say to the barman, have the Cronenberg, uh, 664. <laughs> and he just looks at you, what? So that's one of the ones I want on draft. I want Cronenberg, 664. Because, uh, I would, and I would insist that you wouldn't get served unless you actually said 664. <laughs> And again, sometimes you get swayed by the peer pressure to say what you think other people think you should be saying in terms of what you like to drink. But I, I like a really cold lager, a, a really cold one. It's the first one, and I would drink about half of it. And then it's, as it started to warm up, sitting there at room temperature, that would be me. I'd be done with it. But the first few sips of a really good cold lager would be, yeah, especially on a sort of hot day or as I say, you've done some activity or whatever, you come in. So your first choice is Cronenberg 664. <laughs> What's your wow. second draft item? You've just been refused from mispronunciation. Um, <laughs> oh, I might go to the other extreme of uh, the sort of drink that is a bit of a pudding in Guinness. I'd have uh, quite like a Guinness. Can you have that on draft? I don't even know the difference between, you know, you can have that. You can have technically anything on draft, can't you? you can, yeah, can well, you? I think within the, the sort of the internal working logic of the moon underwater, it has to be something that could viably be on draft. So you couldn't have, you could have draft wine, but mm. you couldn't have sort of a draft <laughs> 1942 Chateau Neuf de Pape. It no. would... And also if you've got wine on draft, then you realise you do have a, a problem, don't you? You're... A lot of places do a, a draft Pinot and a draft Cab Sav, yeah. A lot of classy establishments. Do they? John, are you, uh, I mean, I, I get the impression because of this podcast, are you a real uh, aficionado of Bacchus? Um, no, I don't. I'm not sort of a huge wine buff. I've sort of managed to pretty much, if I went into a majestic wine, I would be able to tell what I would like probably before I bought it. But I don't know a great deal and I don't care about sort of ancient ones. There's one just across the road from a, a majestic wine house here. I'm in an, I'm not in my normal house. I'm in an Airbnb. But you know, you get a, a when you, get, you go into an Airbnb and you get a little folder. Did you rent it just because it was opposite a majestic wine? Yes, because I have a problem. So uh, you get this little folder that says, oh, how the washing machine works and how, what the Wi-Fi code is, etc. But it also said in this one, it said this house was uh, the house of Denny Lane. Denny Lane was in Moody Blues and Wings. So so I'm sort of in a almost a blue-plaqued house here. In, oh, wow. In in Weybridge. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah, so anyway, Cronenberg's Tessons was in Cadra and, uh, and Guinness, which you don't have to ask for an Irish accent, just, just Guinness. Cronenberg's Sexual Soissons Catra and Guinness. Very good choices. I think a lot of people are going to be pleased with that when they walk into your pub. What are your two bottles going to be and how are they going to be pronounced? Okay, wicked, pronounced wicked, um, without the vowels. <laughs> I don't know, I just came up with that. I don't know, I just thought, uh, uh, bottles. I don't, I don't know. One of those Mexican beers, maybe? What, what do you call them? Sol? I'll tell you what I used to do, again, going back to student, I really like the taste of Newcastle Brown Ale. Oh, so let's have, let's have one of those then, just for because it would be I would be drink I haven't dr- I haven't drunk a bottle of Newcastle Brown Ale since I was about 
19 or 20. So goodness me, five or six years ago now. So um, <laughs> I went through a Nuki Brown phase at uni and it, it's pretty aggressive stuff. It, it make, made me quite aggressive and I'm not a very aggressive person, booze wise. That, well, that's the thing as well. So I don't, I, I've never been an aggressive um, drunk. It's been so long since I've actually been drunk that I can't really remember, but I'm, I just get extra chatty if that were at all possible. So did you, did you sort of stop getting drunk for, for a specific reason or was it just your... Yeah, for, um, because uh, I'm quite, I sound like such a tool saying this again, uh, I'm quite big into fitness and so I thought I don't want to, you know, I'm 48 now, so I know what's my secret. <laughs> and so I don't want to, it's not good for you to drink too much and try and try and maintain a sort of running or cycling weight or climbing hills or whatever. But also, I don't think it's just a West of Scotland thing, but I've, I've seen quite a lot of people. I don't like people who are drunk. I find that the, the altered state of being drunk, it's great when it's your, you and you think that, not you, John, it's great when it is oneself and you think that you are the funniest, most entertaining person in the world. But there's nothing, nothing more frustrating, irritating than talking to a drunk person. So I don't, I feel a bit, I feel a bit uneasy around drunk people. It's, it sounds quite dramatic, but when you, I've seen it quite, quite close to, people close to you and you think oh, I don't want to I don't want to be part of that so um there's certainly an element of that as well because it is a you know we talk about the the convivial aspect of drinking and it is fantastic and it has many many positives but there is certainly the other side of the coin which um obviously you want to stay away from so I go to the extreme of just sort of hardly drinking at all I remember once doing dry January and I went to a gig I was chatting to someone after and I was just like Oh my god, he's just telling the same story again. Like as soon as he got to the end of the story, <laughs> was it John? Was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It would just go to the start, and it's like, God, I must be like that. It's just bizarre, isn't yeah. it? And you're just totally immune to yeah. it when you're doing it yourself. Absolutely yeah. into it. Absolutely into it. But yeah. it, and so when it's a group of you who are all under the influence, then it's great as well. But then if you if you're able to step back, step out of that drunk body and look down at it, you go, What are you? What are you doing? Yeah. And I, you know the things that you did when you're. You're drunk as well. It's just, you know, and it seems hilarious at the time, but actually to people who are not in that inner drunk circle, it must have been just deeply, deeply annoying. Anyway, welcome to my pub, everyone. <laughs> have a nice drink. <laughs> I like it. It's very pragmatic. <laughs> one one drink maximum at Andrew <laughs> yeah, Cotter's yeah. Dream Pub. Exactly. That was because you told me you got aggressive under Newcastle Brown Ale, so I'd go back there just <laughs> so I'd have a drink of that just to sort of remind myself what it, because it is that sort of, distance and the, the altering effect of nostalgia that you think oh it tasted really nice so I'd, li- I'd like to go back and have another taste of that to go actually it's not that nice and it's made me quite aggressive well after having rightly highlighted the negative effects of mind altering uh, with alcohol <laughs> andrew we're going to alter our minds in a positive way with the moon underwater pub quiz Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Oh, excellent. Thank you, John. Uh, How do you feel about pub quizzes, Andrew? I like a pub quiz, but um, I mean, I haven't been to one for a while, but it's just when you go along and it, people take it, you know, so seriously. And then you realise right. those people, are you. Are you. <laughs> you're yeah. shouting, and, you're, and then you're shouting out, they, they've got their phones out. 
you're holding your hand up. So it's like they they have got their phones out, but there's always there is always a table that you know do this every single week, and they've got an amazingly clever clever team name. And so you go along for once, and you spend the you spend half the evening trying to think of an amusing name, and by that time, all the facts in the world have gone out of your head. <laughs> yeah, there was. I used to regularly do the pub quiz in the Gloucester Old Spot in Bristol, and there was one team that won every single week. I think one time we came second. It was the closest we ever got, but you know they were undefeated. But that was their thing. That was clearly their their thing and their moment, and and they lived for that. Unless, I mean, it might have been the team that invented the coronavirus vaccine, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't their thing. They went yeah. down better things. Get, but, yeah. uh, you know, actually, yeah, we have other things going on in our life apart from this pub quiz. But yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, this pub quiz there's uh, there's only three questions, and um, they are questions for you, the listener, you, Andrew Cotter, and you, John Robbins, of course. But we'll I'll do the questions, and then we'll go to a break to give everyone a chance to ruminate, and then afterwards we'll go through the answers and see how well we all did. So, without further ado, this week's quiz is about teleprograms. Oh, I love teleprograms. <laughs> I watch television as well, though, John. Do so you watch telly? I, yeah. I like television. We... It depends telly. what era it is, because I, I think I could beat anybody in the world in 1980s television. So, right, um, okay, okay. Well, you might do okay. Oh, shit, it's 1980s television, isn't it? <laughs> My foolhardy boasting is going to come back to it's, uh, well, it's, it's three. let's see how we do. Question one is, how many episodes of Faulty Towers were there? So that's a fairly simple one. Question two, slightly more difficult. I'll maybe give you a few either way, but how many episodes of Friends were there? How many episodes of Friends were there? I'm not including the reunion one. Okay, make a few notes, make a few scribbles. Question three, so have either of you heard of the series Up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, so it started as 7-Up, okay? So the question is, how many series of Up have there been so far? So Up is a series that started as 7-Up. I... Well, you're talking about the original Granada or the... <laughs> oh, uh... yeah, well, we could just say how old are they now. But, I mean, it started as 7-Up where its participants were seven years old and there's been a new series catching up with them every seven years since. So I don't want to give you any clues about years when it started or when it was last on because that might help you but basically how many series of it have there been so far good 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 fantastic a very quick pub quiz this week robin very simple questions but i like them a lot and i actually think i've got i'm in with a shout with two of them <laughs> yes yeah, sorry it's only hard if you don't know it yes so i have been called as some some people are saying the quiz is too hard and yeah but you know i like a hard quiz i think you can make some good guesses with these ones as well yes well, folks, before we head for a brief intermission where you can either hear some advertising or some of Robin's very own music, which, incidentally, if you'd like to delve into Robin's back catalogue, go to robinallander at bandcamp.com. Robinallander.bandcamp.com. <laughs> um, but also head over to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to help maintain the upkeep of this fair old tavern. But we will see you back after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back, everyone, to The Moon Underwater, where we are speaking to sports commentator extraordinaire Andrew Cotter about his dream pub, which has a one-drink limit if I am there. We left you on three individual tenterhooks about tele-programmes. So, Robin, release us from the hooks. So, am I, sorry, am I supposed to have written these down? Because I don't know how this is going to work, because I haven't written them down. It's like that contestant on Countdown that says, oh, yes, I did it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then they show the notebook sometimes to kind of prove Yeah, it. but they don't. They just wave it in the general direction. They just on us. Right, question one was, how many episodes of Faulty Towers were there? So, Andrew, how do you, what, do you, what are you saying? I think uh, 12. I think it was just two series of six. John, what are you saying? I've gone eight. Andrew is correct. It is 12. Two series of six. Yeah, two classic BBC series. No specials. Well done. So this was harder. How many episodes... Thank you very much indeed. Yes. How many episodes of Friends were there? Andrew, what do you reckon? I think 280. It's a really good shout. There must be some leeway in this. Yes. Because it's not faulty tiles. Yes. John, what what are you saying? I've gone 223. Whoa. John just pinches it, well, by a margin. It's 236. Is it? Uh, I was thinking about the, the really um, seldom seen spin-off, Joey, which I actually thought was quite <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot about Joey. Joey, yeah. yes. That's weird. Um, I think, um, uh, just uh, before this final answer, did anyone get quite sad watching the Friends reunion? I did, so you, yeah. you, I think you chaps are slightly younger than me, but I watched it because that was university and beyond watching friends and then suddenly they have this reunion and you realize oh my god they're all they're not as they were what's happened oh yes it's time (laughs) yeah oh dear right i'm gonna have another bottle of newcastle brown ale before this final answer i thought joey was kind of just call him joey well he was the most relaxed and happy in himself whereas uh actually david schwimmer was as well i think david schwimmer is one of the Best comic actors. I think yes. they're all fantastic. And anyway, yeah. slight digression here, but uh, but Joey, uh, yeah, Matt LeBlanc was clearly the most comfortable with himself. Yeah. But when you watch Matthew Perry, and you thought, oh god, that's you know what's um, yeah. I was kind of couldn't I couldn't take my eyes off Matthew Perry. I must admit. I know <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, exactly. It was quite. Uh, Anyway, 233 episodes. Yeah, 236. Two, I sort of, sort of follow him on Instagram and he sort of does, he sells a lot of like sweatshirts that say, could I be any more Chandler from France on them? And he sort of, yeah, I wonder where it was. He doesn't need, surely doesn't need merchandise no, sales. I hope not. 
That's madness. Anyway, what was the third, third question? Third question was the series Up, which was the documentary series. Uh, started as Seven Up, and it's been going every seven years since. So, how many series do you reckon that's had, Andrew? What are you saying? I, I reckon nine. Nine, John. What are you saying? I've also, Carol, <laughs> said nine. <laughs> He's shown very good. It is oh, nine. Tremendous. Very good. Thank you. It started in 1964, and it's been going every seven years since, and the last one was 63 up in 2019. So the next one, there'll be 70, which is... Uh, I think, uh, so we, then we've already lost a few of them, actually, or a couple of them, anyway. But uh, I, I think that's the most brilliant, the most brilliant idea for a television documentary. Or just, it's sort of a reality television, the very first aspect of it, but, but with far more depth to it. And some of the people just drifting away and not wanting to be part of it anymore. I remember there was a television producer who didn't want to do it anymore. And then there was Neil from Liverpool who became, you know, slightly, you know, became slightly troubled and lived in the Western Isles and then came back to be, uh, um, they came back to be, I think, a Liberal Democrat councillor, I think. Yeah, it was just amazing, the threads of life. It was just an incredible program. Yeah. It's really fascinating. The pitch would never make it to air no, today because no. you, what you say is, I've got this really great idea and everyone's going to love it and then you have to wait seven years for the second series. No. People are like, no thanks. Okay, right. Okay, and where does Paddy McGuinness fit in as well? in this? Place? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, the pitch is yeah. that we follow Paddy McGuinness at seven-year intervals and see just how many more programmes he can present. Saying as a box set, you know, the the first 28 years aren't that great, but if you stick with it, when it gets to 35 <laughs> yeah. years, it's really brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did, I, did I sneak that on my first answer? You did. Oh, no, it's a tie. It's a t- no, it's no, it's a, a tie. tie. It's a tie. Let's have a drink to celebrate. Well, I was closest, whereas you actually got two bang on, so I think that, that sneaks it. But we head back to Andrew Cotter's dream pub, and I have to say I've not got high hopes for this next selection. <laughs> it's not a good pub, Andrew, is it, really? <laughs> what are your two spirits for your pub? Ah, spirits. Here we are. Yeah, God, I do love a spirit. I would have some whiskey in there because I'm Scottish, obviously, and you're duty-bound to have some in there. Is there much whiskey made near where you're from? No, no. It, I'm the most un part of, of the country. Although if you went just out due west, you get to Isla, you know, and, uh, and and plenty of good whiskies there. But I don't really know. But I have enough people, who, uh, acquaintances, who know a good deal about whiskey to recommend one. I would have Macallan 66 in there because I saw it on an episode of Better Call Saul, which I was watching yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tasted this whiskey? No, but you know, he was trying to get one of the uh, lawyers, the one played by Michael McKean, back on board. And so he brought around a gift, one of the fellow lawyers of, of Macallan 66, so it must be good. Uh, or Lafroig or Talisker. I just like saying some of the names, to be honest. So, yeah. Your first spirit, the Macallan 66, is going to be new to you, so uh, fingers crossed you like it. I'd have a rum. Can you recommend a, a rum to me? Because I just like the idea that we're all... Which ones have you seen on telly programmes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I saw on Breaking Bad or something. Yeah, on Gomorrah, they were drinking a rum. Uh, but but rum, because it sounds vaguely piratical, so we could all be just... having some rum... Um, but do you like a spice rum, dark rum, white rum? I have no idea, John. That's... that's that, um. No, I do. A rum, you can have a mix of a rum, can't you? So something for people who want to mix it up, or they can just have a straight rum, because I like the word rum as well. Okay. So you can order, a barman, I will have a rum. And I don't want people to come and say, I want a Captain Morgan, or I want a whatever it is. I want people to actually say, I want a rum, 
and then the barman can choose the rum for them because I want them to say the word rum, which I'm saying quite a lot now. <laughs> well, you've gone for a rum. I'm going to actually stipulate that it's Green Island Spiced Gold because that's the only spiced rum I like and it's absolutely gorgeous. Right, there we are. A nice rum. A nice, yeah, okay. <laughs> rum. Mm. And that's also a beautiful island, the island of rum with an H. Rum is just uh, stunning. You've got the Coolin of Sky, which are the most dramatic mountains, but you've got the Coolin of, uh, of rum as well. The Coolin of rum. I don't uh, mind that. I like the sound of that a lot. Well, yeah, they are, they are um, some scary mountains. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. It's time to expand our minds as we add another publi tome to the pub library. Uh, thanks, John. But, you know, this is, we're going a little bit. Are we going highbrow or are we going lowbrow? It's a good question because we're talking to our old. Or are we going low and brow? Nice. Because we're talking to our old friend, T.S. Eliot, who in. Oh, (laughs) Thomas Stearns! In the wasteland, of course, there is a little jaunt to a pub. And he uses a lot of vernacular language of English uh, Londoners in a pub, uh, women talking to each other. It's a really lovely bit. I'm not, I mean, I've read The Wasteland many times and I still don't really understand what's going on a lot of the time. But what <laughs> some of the, um, obviously I love some of the phrases and I love how oblique it is and how strange it is. And I love the use of like a spoken language coming in, the kind of vernacular coming in. But so shall I just read a bit of this? This is the the pub bit from The Wasteland. When Lil's husband got demobbed, I said, I didn't mince my words. I said to her myself, hurry up, please. It's time. Now, Albert's coming back. Make yourself a bit smart. He'll want to know what you've done with that money he gave you to get yourself some teeth. He did. I was there. You have them all out, Lil, and get a nice set. He said, I swear, I can't bear to look at you. And no more can't I, I said. And think of poor Albert. He's been in the army four years. He wants a good time. And if you don't give it him, there's others will, I said. Oh, is there, she said. Something of that, I said. Then I'll know who to thank, she said, and give me a straight look. Hurry up, please, it's time. If you don't like it, you can get on with it, I said. Others can pick and choose if you can't, but if Albert makes off, it won't be for lack of telling. You ought to be ashamed, I said, to look so antique, and her only 31. I can't help it, she said, pulling a long face. It's them pills I took to bring it off, she said. She's had five already and nearly died of young George. The chemist said it would be all right, but I've never been the same. You are a proper fool, I said. Well, if Albert won't leave you alone, there it is, I said. What you get married for if you don't want children? Hurry up, please, it's time. Well, that Sunday Albert was home, they had a hot gammon, and they asked me into dinner to get the beauty of it hot. Hurry up, please, it's time. Hurry up, please, it's time. Good night, Bill. Good night, Lou. Good night, May. Good night, ta-ta. Good night, good night. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night, good night. Superb. Thanks. It's actually quite a sort of disturbing conversation. It is. It's very disturbing, because they're talking about... An, well, have someone having had an abortion, and they really get the sense. It sounds like you're in a pub with the voices coming and going and interfering, and you know. It's and when when you hear Elliot reading it himself, it's it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. It's um not. I'm not having a go at your reading, Robin, which was fantastic. <laughs> um, but his slightly clipped English accent. Yeah. But with an American something in the background, yeah. but then on top of that, the sort of Cockney accent he's doing. Yeah. I can't bear to look at you. There's brilliant phrases, isn't there? For me, the wasteland is so much clearer now than it was when I actually studied it. And I, the more I think about it, the more it feels like a walk through London. It's just an incredibly clever person 
with an awful lot of knowledge of sort of myth and literature, classical literature, walking through London with these sort of high and low culture butting onto each other in sort of almost on the same street. And that's what gives it sort of those sort of fragments. I think, I think my feeling about it is that, you know, when you first read it, you, you kind of expect to be bowled over by it because you, you know it's such a revolutionary piece of work. And I think part of the reason it doesn't have that impact on first reading is because we're so familiar with that style now from, like, pop lyrics or from any, you know, lots of other kind of... And the fact that, you know, poetry has got a lot more fragmented since then. I think we're more used to the kind of those voices coming and going, whereas at the time it would have been quite very, very new to have all these different kind of voices and illusions and everything. You know, when you have the, um, the sort of advantage of, of uh, all the experience you've had in life and you wish you could go back and study a different subject at university, I certainly wish I'd uh, studied English. You come to appreciate the language far, far more. I think I didn't do it. I think both my parents did um, English at, uh, at university. I wanted to do something different. Were you studying French literature or the French language? So French, well, you did all aspects of it, but a huge part of it was French literature. So you're studying, when you, 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 the, po- the poetry I studied was uh, Baudelaire or Mallarmé or Rambo. Um, and, and of course, you, so, you sort of appreciate it, but you don't really, because you're struggling to even um, with the translation. I know, but Baudelaire, having you know worked out the translation, Baudelaire would have been Again, because I'm a fairly at times um, dark individual, that um, you know Baudelaire, I would, I would spend a lot of time thinking I was Baudelaire and how deep and dark I was. But um, there's certainly aspects of uh, of his personality in there that I could identify with. But I uh, I I wish I had um, yeah a chance to go back and study properly, study um, study English. But uh, I think I think it's frustrating as well when you not frustrating that's um, too strong a word but when you when you're a sports broadcaster it is seen as quite a low form of broadcasting generally and that's all you know that's partridge before and since you know we're always in the shadow of partridge because it's that kind of overexcitable type of uh, of broadcasting about something which is a lower form of entertainment or perceived to be um but the language you can still use can be as highbrow as it. Well, I'm not sure it is. I think you'd perhaps rein it in when you are, you know, sports broadcasting for fear of being seen as that thing we were talking about earlier, being seen as slightly too pretentious. Have you ever been accidentally partridged? You know that accidental partridge Twitter account. <laughs> oh, I, oh all, all the time. Right. The reason partridge is so good is because it is so is so close to the truth. Yeah. And the trouble is, the sport is it goes through the same passages of play all the time. Yeah. So. And cliches are there because they are sort of truisms as well, um, certainly elements of it in there. And so you find yourself getting very, sometimes it's just an exclamation and you're just, you know, because that's because you're buying yourself time because you can't think of the proper um, proper word to describe it. So you just go, oh, wow, <laughs> whoa, hey, And then that's just basically Partridge shouting, shit, did you see that? <laughs> he must have a foot um, like a traction engine. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he gave sort of, you know, multi-sport commentators a bit of a bad rep because you start to think, hang on, I saw Hazel Irvin doing the snooker and now she's doing the London Marathon. Pick a team, Hazel. No, no, no. I don't think he gave multi-sport commentators a bad name. I think sports broadcast... I think he in, he enhanced what a lot of people already f- felt about sports broadcasters, that it was 
as I said, just a little bit. You know, news people would always hand to the sport as if, now here's the silly stuff. Come on then, what have you got? Sports, sports monkey. So Chris Moyles used to call us his sports monkeys. Uh, we would deliver the sport. And, and so it was always, um, yeah, it was, it was always seen that way. But yeah, because whenever in, in later series of Partridge, it was always, you know, a name that is invoked to sort of, whether it's Sue Cook or Bill Audia, there was always a sports broadcaster's name in there as well. Or whatever, you, you know, it might be Hazel. It might be Hazel or say, or I was having lunch with, with John Inverdale the other day or something like that. And, you know, these are sort of fantastic broadcasters, but we, we, they do sport. And so it's not the same as presenting civilization or, you know, narrating a great uh, documentary. It, it's sport. So it seems a bit more frivolous. You walk into the moon underwater. Every guest leaves an album on the jukebox that they would like to hear when they walk into a pub. What's your dream pub album, Andrew? I, I I didn't check to see if they have been used before. Like it's like the Chain and Six Music or something like that. Doesn't that doesn't matter, does it? Well, I would probably have, I would probably have the Stone Roses, Second um, Coming, and not, <laughs> not second, no, not the Second Coming. Brilliant. No, a couple of vignettes on there, uh, but no, it would be uh, yeah, Stone Roses, Stone Roses, or I would have after the Gold Rush, Neil Young, which was. Uh, which I just listened to over and over again and, and tried to learn all the songs and the guitar and sat there strumming away thinking again I was deep as I was reading philosophy and playing Neil Young and um, yeah so I pro- either one of those Well I'm going to take your first answer Andrew because they're both fantastic answers but I think Stone Roses has got to be on uh, the Moon Underwater jukebox It's so good and it's great in the pub as well I think I was in the pub with my girlfriend Ruth uh, the other day and I think I want to be adored was on and I came back from the loo and just came back like like kind of doing a sort of mank walk with my arms in the air you know just because you can't it sounds so good in the pub you know? but I, I, again I don't know what when the Stone Roses you know came on the scene it was just it was it was such a revelation I was when I was a sort of teenager I was listening to the Who and the Rolling Stones and then Stone Roses came up because we were coming out of the the 80s, which wasn't music at the time that appealed to me. Now quite a lot of it does, but at the time a lot of it wasn't particularly, apart from the Smiths. And then Stone Roses came on the scene and it was just, uh, that that album was just, I played it over and over and over again as I drove around in my little Ford Fiesta. And I, every song, when you hear it now, I'm, you, you're taken back there. Uh, um, you know, people talk about scent being the strongest sort of reawakening of memory and taking you back to a place. And, and I'm sure, I, I think it probably is, but certain songs and music and sounds, God, I mean, I'm just absolutely there as a, what, 17-year-old just listening to Stone Roses. It, music is the scent of the ears. Oh. Did someone say that? Music is the sense oh, of the John Robbins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a partridge quote. Music is the scent of the ears. I mean, I think the great thing about that Stone Roses album is it feels heavy, but it doesn't sound heavy. They're not really a heavy band, even though they sort of have everything about them that feels heavy and it feels kind of like you you grow a bit bigger when you listen to it. It's like it doesn't have... It, it, they're anthemic, but it doesn't have the kind of swagger of, like, Oasis, does it? You know, it's it's gentler Yeah, music. it's not sort of yeah. rocky yeah, in yeah. a way. But it's still... It's got groove, though, and it's got... It works well as, uh, you know, with crowds, obviously, sing-along kind of style, yeah. There was a, a, a Thai restaurant we used to uh, go to uh, where we live, and occasionally Ian Brown, you'd see Ian Brown popping in to pick up his, his takeaway... 
And I don't, I'd, I've never, never in my life uh, been it's sort of swayed or overawed by anybody famous. I don't, I don't think of people that way at all. But, but Ian Brown, I, I just, I was close to saying, oh, just, just, yeah, just, just thanks, man. Yeah. But I just thought how many times he'll have got that. And then, of course, he's gone a bit mad as well recently. So, um, but, um, <laughs> Well, everyone's opinion, of course. It's not, you're not on the BBC now, Andrew. You can just you can call a spade a spade. <laughs> no, I think that, that was that was as close I've ever come to going up to someone saying, you know, just uh, I was going to say I've got all your albums. Yeah, well, two of them. So um, <laughs> <laughs> even the Silvertone special release stuff. Yeah, he, that 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 album is is just absolutely the most influential in terms of my my, my life. Just listening to it over again and just um, thinking of what might be possible or yeah just it was at that time as well when you're just thinking you know you're so excited about what life might have to hold i'm not saying i've been ground down by the intervening years but you know what i mean when you're 17 18 and you're listening to stuff like that you just think yeah this is our time this is absolute that's what um every generation has they have their their music and they have their you know when you have that energy of a sort of you know, late teens and the excitement about life and um, and when the Stone Roses, when that album came out, that was exactly that hit at exactly that time for me. Sometimes I Okay, Andrew, in your dream pub, you have Cronenberg, Sexon, Soissonquatre. Stop saying Sexon, Soissonquatre. Saison. Saison. Saison, Soissonquatre. Saison. Saison, Soissonquatre. Saison, Soissonquatre. Saison, Soissonquatre. You have Guinness. You, I'm not sure if you remember this. You also have Sol. Um, you what? have... Uh, <laughs> Have, with a little bit of lemon. <laughs> with uh, You have Newcastle Brown Ale. Cerveza. You have a whiskey you've never tasted, the Macallan 66, and a rum, uh, which I have um, popped in Green Island Spiced Gold there. It better call Sol. That was my link to the whiskey from my beer. Uh, well, it wasn't really a thought of link, but um, good. That's quite an eclectic selection, is it not? It's good, and it's about to get a little bit more eclectic because you've got one more choice, which is your wild card. It can be any drink of any form. doesn't have to be alcoholic. So I take you back to... 17 stroke 18 year old going into pubs of Troon, going into, let's call it Gibson's, run by Davy Gibson with a beard. Looked a little bit like Mr. Claypole from Rent a Ghost. Um, and, and trying to order when you're 17, I'll just be honest again about it, trying to order a drink that you made you sound manly enough and old enough. So it was always a pint of heavy. It's just a pint of heavy, pint of heavy. And, you know, so you're going to lower the octave of your voice. So yeah. A couple of pints of heavy, a couple of pints of heavy, Davy, um, while stroking a wispy, a wispy moustache. But then once I turned eighteen, it was oh, I, don't, I can order whatever I want now. <laughs> and I went through a phase, and I make no apologies for it. It's just being honest of drinking Malibu pineapple. So here is this eighteen-year-old trying to be as manly as possible, but actually thinking, do you know what? I quite fancy drinking because I had quite a sweet tooth. I was still young, so I thought. I quite fancy just having a Malibu pineapple. It gets me drunk, and I'm quite enjoying it. And then, after about six months of doing 
<laughs> I couldn't take the the laughter and the the poking of fun and the physical poking probably as well. Just stop that. Stop doing that. Because <laughs> I was drinking with everyone else who was still on the pints of heavy and a Malibu pineapple. We could just pretend it was for one of the young ladies in the group. And I'm, so I'm drinking a pint, uh, not a pint of Malibu pineapple. That'd be ridiculous. But so that is what some people are going to have the option to drink that in this strange pub, <laughs> the Malibu pineapple, as they listen to the Stone Roses. You're bad. Now we've we've touched on a few of the negative uh, sides of uh, especially drunken behaviour that you don't like, but you're also allowed to bar something in your in your dream pub. What wouldn't you allow? I'm not sure people would want to come to the pub that I've set up this bizarre pub, but I'm not a massive people person, so it would have to be a really select clientele. So what I would have, I wouldn't bar anything in particular, but I would have a bouncer on the door of this pub. I know you don't have bouncers on pumps. Right? Oh, you don't do. Really. Um, Big time. You know. Are you suggesting maybe what you would bar is people over a certain amount? So you would have like a limit to the amount of people who could be in at any one time? Yes. And also I would, I would do have a sort of personality test as they came in. So it's not based on, you know, the old bouncers rules of... You'd, you'd breathalyze the person. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing to do with what people look like or if they're wearing trainers that they can come in or not. It's... You chat to them, they have a minute to sell themselves before coming into this pub. And any number of topics will get them barred. So it's sort of like a just a minute, but they have to talk to, to convince the bouncer that they're allowed into this pub that nobody really wants to be in anyway, to have that Malibu and pineapple and listen to Sugar Spun Sister. Oh, well, I think that's good. A bouncer slash personality test at the door is very good. Andrew, <laughs> your dogs have become your brand over lockdown. Tell us how it all started and, and what it's gone on to spawn, because you're now sort of a touring dog maestro. A dog maestro. I know it's a, it's a, it is very strange, and it's a tale often told, a dog tale often told, is because in March last year, when it all kicked off, all sport disappeared, so I put out a tweet where I was commentating them eating the breakfast, Olive and Mabel, the two Labradors, who are beside me here. And that went viral, as the kids say, as all people say, because there's no other word for it. It's just viral. Viral, the kids would probably say without vowels. So that would get over 10 million views suddenly on Twitter. And then the next one got over 20 million. And it just kept on going and they kept on making the videos. And because I was entertaining myself and it seemed that I was entertaining a few other people as well. So, and I had nothing else to do at the time. So, and you say it became a brand and it, it, it became a sort of identifying thing about me. He's the dog guy, but it was never a brand because I have steadfastly refused to use them to sell any product. And by God, there have been any number of products products who have approached us. Yeah, so that but that's the scary thing that happens and it is quite scary. It's a thing that you sort of lose control of when a following increases to that extent on on social media is that when you have that number of people and and a clearly targeted audience as well, then anybody connected with dogs but also other products which are not connected at all suddenly come on board and say can you put out a post about this or that but also there was the commentary thing and the broadcasting thing that people were saying well can you commentate on these rental cars can you commentate <laughs> on this yogurt and these are genuine offers can you commentate on uh, but it's okay it's okay to cooked. earn a bit of money andrew it's all it's no shame it, no so it your is dogs and I, 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 I sold them out they're dogs 
I get that, but I get that, but I would never use them in it. Uh, the two reasons I didn't want to do uh, the, the offers that came away were one, there were ones asking me to do silly commentary on things, and I, you don't want to be the joke commentator when you've got to go back and ha- try and have that gravitas, even if it's probably gone entirely. But also, the ones involving Oliver Mabel, I never wanted to associate them with any brand because that is once th- these videos were made have been made, hopefully will continue to be made if I can think of the ideas as an escape from everything that is human made. So it is just a sort of silly uh, escape into the world of of dogs. Even though I put them in human situations, it's, it's, a, it's an innocent escape and there's a charm hopefully about them. As soon as you say, here are Olive and Mabel endorsing this product, that's it, it's gone and it's not what it was. Um, so I'll never do that. Famous last words. You'll see me in six months' time uh, selling anything. But you're now on tour and you're writing your second book. And the, the, the book is called Olive. The first book is called Olive, Mabel and Me. And the tour is an evening with Andrew Cotter, Olive and Mabel. Yeah, I think it's an evening with... I think it's just billed as an evening with Olive and Mabel, actually, which is, is pretty much it because the people are just coming to see... We've just done Barry St. Edmunds and we're doing, uh, we, I mean, but this is the thing. So last November we were booked to do the Palladium. We were booked to appear at the London Palladium. Oh, what a room. I mean, can you imagine? And I was so, you know, obviously all things being uh, as they are, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But two weeks before we were due to do it, we went into a different lock, stage of lockdown at that time. So all that was, was cancelled and that one's never come back. They've given it to Osman now. Osman and his multi-million selling book. Ah. Oh. Osman. Um, so, uh, so yes, it was, um, but, but so now we're doing, um, theatres up and down the land. Uh, well, I think eight or nine of them. And it's, it's, it's people coming to see these dogs that they watched during a strange time. They watched on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram and see them come to life. And it's a sort of a, it, it sort of marks a, a recovery and a getting back to the real world that they can see these dogs that actually or these from these videos that cheered them up a little bit. So yes, they are all dog people in the audience, and uh, some of them may own entire kennels of dogs and be you know, slightly out there, but uh, they're they're lovely people as well. So it's an audience that is just an audience of nice people. It's the nice side of social media, and there is a nice side of social media suddenly come to life in front of you. Which is uh, is incredible to see. Well, it's a good job you weren't commentating on cats because taking them on tour would be a fucking nightmare. I mean, <laughs> imagine driving two cats around imagine. the country trying to get them to stay on stage. Oh, trying to herd them. Uh, yes, it would have been that would have been impossible. But thankfully, I don't have cats. Well, if you like dogs, go and check out uh, Andrew's tour show and buy his book. If you like Andrew, do the same. I would go and watch it, Andrew, but I'd be watching it for you, for the uh, bounce with you. But I think I would probably get on with Olive and Mabel to an extent. I think you would. Olive is very like me. She she's a little bit uh, has a moment to herself, and then she'll she'll turn on the charm. Actually, no, I don't turn on the charm. So we're very different. So <laughs> she's very different at all. Whereas Mabel's a bit of a just a sort of amiable cretin. So um, <laughs> everybody's different, aren't they? So hurry up, please. It's time. Well. Andrew, it's almost time for us to let you go back into the uh, other realm. But before you do, we need to have a name for this crazy, crazy pub with Cronenberg, Saison Soissons Quatre, Guinness, Sol, Newcastle Brown, Macallan 66, a rum, and Malibu and Pineapple in a pub that has a sort of 
a breath of Scotland about it, and you could stumble up the road towards Pebbles Nightclub after a lovely stint <laughs> on the old Malibu and Pineapples whilst listening to the Stone Roses. So what are we going to call this pub, Andrew? I don't know. There'll be some clever names. I was looking at some of the... Uh, I listened to some of the previous episodes, and there were some good names. So it would be something to do with my love of mountains as well. Maybe the dog and the, the dog in the mountain, because you could have a dog staring at me. The dog in the mountain. Um, yeah, that, that just about sums it up. Or I like that. Just call it Chaps. <laughs> no, the, there's, there's a nightclub in Edinburgh called Chaps, which I think was just for Chaps. But um, anyway, let's just call it the Dog in the Mountain. I like that you've gone for the Dog and the Mountain as opposed to the Dog and Mountain. No, exactly. I don't like. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's got a it's got a certain classiness about the Dog certain, and the Mountain. Uh, a certain um, Grimm's tale about it as well. That there would be a story behind it. The story of the Dog and the Mountain. And what song are you going to pick from the Stone Roses to play you out of this episode? It would have to be I'm the Resurrection. Okay. Well, we're going to play you out with nine minutes. Was it nine, twelve minutes or nine minutes? Yeah, no, so I can't, I can't inflict that on people. Let's do this as the one instead. No, we only play a 30-second clip of it. I was just being silly. Uh, which, which clip should we play? A bit from the funk outro or a bit from the intro, intro bit? You know, it's a good question. Do you know, if it's just 30 seconds, let's do, let's do this as the one because you can't beat that intro. Well, Andrew Cotter, thank you so much for joining us here at The Moon Underwater. Best of luck with Olive and with Mabel and with the book and with the tour. And just on a personal uh, level, Andrew, I play a lot of golf. I have a, a, a monthly column for today's golfer. And, and yet uh, I didn't receive the email about the five live golf trip until it was too late. I only got it a day before. So if you ever have the opportunity where you need a sort of semi-celebrity golfer, please, please do get in touch directly to me. Please, please. Yeah, I, I will. I will absolutely do that. So can I ask a quick question before we go and listen to This Is The One? So when did you start the Today's Golfer column? A year ago. So I've done 12. Yes. Right. So do you know what? Do you, <laughs> that's interesting because I, that's, a, so do you know whose page you're filling in Today's Golfer? No. Yes, me. I had a column for Today's did Golfer you really? for 10 years. <laughs> and so you've taken it over. No that's fantastic. Way. I'm so pleased about that because I haven't <laughs> are you really that's that's no that's fantastic that is that has filled me with joy that they've got somebody really really funny to, oh. to take it over because I like the fact that that's because there's not enough good humor in in golf so I really enjoyed writing the today's golfer column but I didn't don't worry I wasn't sacked to make way for you I had taken golf as far as I felt, like I had too much going on dog wise at the time. So oh, that's great. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading today's golfer again. Well, I think the thing is that golf is serious in two ways. It's serious in sort of technical talk about equipment, and it's serious in sort of sort of being right and proper and that kind of thing. But the vast majority of time, when you're playing golf, the people around you are joking. They're making jokes. They're being self-deprecating. It's all humour. It's sort of humour and a bit of insight into how, you know, you're approaching the round. Great news. <laughs> this, is, this is either going to be kept in this podcast and we'll, people will have switched off a long time ago as we discussed today's Golfer magazine. And, um, and It's all staying in, mate. <laughs> it's all staying in. Okay, good stuff. Right, well, there we are. We, we wish you well on the way out of the moon underwater and we thank you so much for joining us this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, bid a fond farewell to the 
the, may I say, beautifully voiced uh, Andrew Cotter. Bye-bye, Andrew. Bye-bye, John Robbins and Robin. Bye-bye. Thank you. Farewell to thee, Andrew Cotter, um, and we do hope we do hope the fairways and the greens are a little bit lighter for having your pub of choice with you. Uh, but next week, very excitingly, the moon underwater moves into the other realm. We'll be leaving the correct realm and venturing out into the real world, where we have uh, recorded some live discussions with some very exciting guests. Some symposiums. Some symposiums, some... Uh, what do they call it uh, when it's an orchestra? Symphony? No, it's like a, a conservatoire. Oh, conservatoire, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, you, you'll have heard us talking about the live shows. They're all now recorded and ready to be shared with you all. Uh, for those of you who get your podcasts through uh, a podcast provider, they'll be in two parts because they're very, very long. And um, for those of you who subscribe to Patreon, you'll get them unedited. Oh, no, that's not true. There certainly are edits in every single one of them. Yes. Um, But you will get an extended version um, in one big chunk, from what I believe. From what I hear, from what I believe. Uh, So uh, next up, it's Izzy Sooty coming live from the other realm. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.